I'm going to be uh, reading from verse 18. Um, and I, I want to read all of this section. It's slightly longer today. But I, I want to read it because it, it has um, a huge bearing uh, on what I really want to say. Uh, so in verse 18, you'll love this scripture as Jesus starts speaking this way. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that uh, no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written uh, in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause." I think everyone can catch on what the key word is here. Then it goes, But when the Helper comes, whom I'll send to you from my Father, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming that whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when the, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Father, we thank you. We just pray for your blessing on your word today. I pray for your encouragement to everyone. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would live and... Uh, uh, in, in every heart here, and Lord God, that your touch, your hand, your blessing would be over us all. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Your wonderful name. Amen. I just want to say a huge welcome to all the visitors. I see uh, quite a few faces uh, there, um, which is great. Um, and so just a huge welcome to everyone. Now, um, we've been doing a series here uh, under one big theme called The Living Room, and hence this up here on the stage. It's quite comfortable for musicians, by the way. <laughs> I, I like this prop sort of about as much as any we've had. Um, but with that, um, we've been looking at uh, the teaching of John 13 to John 17. And uh, in our morning services, uh, we've titled this Living in the Upper Room. And it's really a study... Uh, primarily of the focus that Jesus gave in these uh, five chapters here uh, that uh, uh, just uh, are devoted uh, to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this uh, is incredible teaching and I, I just want to begin today by saying again what I've said nearly every time. You see, the problem particularly with John as he writes John's writing is so different than the other apostles. And he writes, I, I, I always feel it's like concentric rings. It's the only way I can describe it. And you, you, you move into what John says, and there's just these concentric rings keep moving in all that he says. But the big theme in this section is it was all on one night at Passover, five chapters, and that Jewish Passover was when every Israelite took a lamb. I think many are familiar with this. And they celebrated Israel's deliverance. They celebrated the birth of their nation. And they also uh, remembered their emancipation, which is just a word means they're setting free from bondage and chains. They were freed. And so uh, this was the really beginning of a nation. And the way this was unpacked for all Jewish families... It was a part of their culture. They did so over the Passover meal that revolved around four cups. 
And those four cups of wine that they had actually celebrated each of those things I've just uh, mentioned is uh, the emancipation, the freedom of slavery. The first cup would be towards that. The second would be to their deliverance or their sanctification. God at work through their lives. God took Egypt out of the people. And then the cup of redemption, uh, which spoke of God's work within their lives. He'd redeemed them. And then the cup of inheritance or celebration. Now, with this, it's probably, probably articulated most clearly in the book of Exodus in chapter 6, 6 and 7. And it just says this, Say therefore the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from the burdens of Egypt, the cup of salvation. I'll deliver you from slavery to them, the cup of deliverance. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, the cup of redemption. I'll take you to be my people and I will be your God. And the cup of celebration or the cup of inheritance. Now, we, um, with that, uh, just the other very important thing. And the reason I say this, because it's very easy in John's letters to get lost in details. And people divorce it from the big picture. And they lose the overall thrust. Now, what happens? Jesus took that Passover meal. And over the Last Supper, he actually used this event to actually unveil and articulate the new covenant. And that new covenant was going to be written in his blood. The disciples did not understand that at this stage as they were there in the upper room. But uh, he then began because that night there was going to be a greater lamb. There was going to be a greater deliverance and emancipation. And then finally, there was a greater dynamic. And this dynamic is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so through this, Jesus used this event to unveil a new covenant. So everything he says in this upper room, this is what lays behind this. And it becomes very important for us today. Because what happens is Jesus does this dialogue teaching, which is quite extensive, from John 13 to 17, is what happens there, he gives four presentations of the helper, or what we know as the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this helper, uh, many people do not realize that Jesus unveils the teaching of the Holy Spirit exactly as the four cups of the Passover. And so what happens here, he tells the helper has come to bring us into salvation. The helper has come to grant us deliverance. The helper has come to grant us redemption. And the helper has come to grant us his inheritance. And so this becomes the subject of the upper room. And we've titled this Living in the Upper Room because true Christianity is life in the Holy Spirit. How to live in this dimension of the Holy Spirit's work and influence and intimacy that he brings into our lives. Now, they didn't understand this. Uh, They didn't understand this very night Jesus was going to be taken to the cross. Everything was going to go AWOL for them. The whole world was going to get turned upside down. But they did not realize this at this stage. Now, these four cups of the Spirit, we have looked at two of those so far. We looked at the cup of salvation. And Jesus gives this teaching, first in John 14, 16, and 7, the new seal and dynamic of the new covenant, the dove has landed, if those that were with us in this series. And this is going to lead us into greater works and answered prayer. And it's going to lead us into a new love um, that is a new dynamic. And, and Romans 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, well, you do not belong to Him. Quite frankly, if you have not got the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not Christian. That is the bottom line. Then we looked at the cup of deliverance. It's one thing to get the people out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of the people. Uh, or can I say that to Christians? It's one thing to get people saved. My, my. <laughs> it's hard to get the world out of them. You got the picture? And, and so what happens, this deals with sanctification. And Jesus gives that second teaching of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, the helper has come, or in summary, as we looked at in that message, to unbind you and let you go. 
And there's a process that does with that, that works with him being the interpreter, the prompter, and working in covenant community or, or the community of God's believers. And then Jesus gave an illustration, and I looked at this last time two weeks ago. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And, and he just brings this incredible illustration for those two teachings that he'd done, that there is a, a pruning there is a union, there is a grafting into God. And that grafting into God, the divine sap flows as the Holy Spirit begins to flow through your life. Uh, and then there is this, if you'll just abide, if you'll abide, just walk the walk, and it'll bear fruit in your lives. It'll change your world and lead to fruitfulness. Now, all of that is where we've been. Now, this leads us now to the third cup, the one I want to spend the time that we have this morning. And this third cup is what I call the cup of redemption. Uh, and I use the word transformation. I'll explain why I use that in a moment. But let me uh, just say with Exodus 6.6, 6, this is the one where it says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That's what was said over Israel as I brought out of Egypt. But in the new covenant, as Jesus unveils this, he's going to lead you into a greater redemption. The Holy Spirit comes not just to seal your salvation. He just doesn't come to actually to sanctify or transform your life into where God wants you to be. He wants to redeem you. Now, maybe an illustration here might uh, 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 be the appropriate thing. Uh, you know, I was talking to one guy. He's actually living out the front here. He actually helped us here on, on yesterday. And, um, and anyway, he told me just a little story because he's... He's, his life's a little difficult for him at the moment. But he told me a story how he got this prize surfboard. Now, there's a few of us as surfers, and, uh, and so uh, we, we like our boards. I particularly like my board, and I love my early mornings, me and my white pointer friends. I enjoy my time. And uh, early dawn, before it gets light, me and the white pointers just get on fine. And so, anyway... Um, <laughs> It was a little nervous about two months ago. Um, but anyway, let me just say this. He told me that he had his prize board. But he, because he was so financially desperate, he went to a local pawn shop and he hocked his board. Now, you know what we mean by that. It means that he does a deal with the hock shop and they uh, give him a loan of money. And then his prize surfboard is used as, what do you call it, collateral or the... Guarantee, the guarantee, that's the word. The guarantee for the loan is a problem. If he messes up and doesn't pay his interest and doesn't work the agreements, then that prize board goes into the property of the hock shop. Everyone know what I'm saying there? However, if he gets the money, he can come back and pay the loan out and redeem his board back. But there's a problem for him is why it's in hock. He cannot use it. And for a surfer, that's, it's really painful. And for the very fact that you have the potential of then losing that object, you've lost the purpose that it had, and you've also now lived with the threat that you could lose it totally. Everyone, you, you all know how this works. So it can be redeemed, but until it's redeemed, it's lost the very purpose that you had for that very thing. Now, that's a little bit like exactly what we're talking about here. You see, what happens is the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus pays price to get you out of hock because <laughs> you're in debt and it's like we've all been hot and we all live under a threat. But in that position, we aren't fulfilling the very purpose of what we should be. You follow what I'm saying? It's, it's like we've lost the utility of what we should be. Now, the Holy Spirit has come. He's come because Jesus that very night is going to pay the price for humanity's sin. He's going to die on the cross and... He's going to save us. He's going to lead a process that's going to sanctify us. But now there is redemption. Not only 
does the Holy Spirit come to seal your salvation and to change your life? But he comes to redeem you back to the very purpose and to freedom what you were created to be. You've got to be redeemed out of hock. And that there is quite an incredible thing. Now, you might have noticed this scripture, and I'm just going to outline it for you, why I read all what I read there. And this is where people actually make a mistake with John. They divorce little sections of it and lose the big picture. But Jesus begins to talk about hatred of the world. And you need to understand that. And in chapter 15, verses 18 to 25 that we read, then he begins to introduce this third, what I call the third cup of redemption, the third time he mentions the helper in these chapters. And then he's going to predict rejection and persecution. So it sounds like a fun passage coming up. Everyone? Now, I want you to notice, though, uh, that this time, the third cup is like the meat in the sandwich. On one side, you have hatred. On the other side, you have persecution. And the meat in the sandwich is the helper will come. And he's come for a purpose, to redeem you. Now, let me unpack that. Okay, so John 15 18. Uh, it begins, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, Jesus begins there talking now about hatred. Now, if you're an observant reader of the Bible, you'll realize that the verses before, John 15, 9 to 17, is the word love is mentioned eight times. Who likes love? Eight times he talks about love and now, in seven verses, or, or just these few verses, not even seven, he's going to uh, use hate seven times. Now, I think you should be able to see the contrast between love and hate, okay? So there's a subject change, in other words. And he talks about the world, and again, as I've already mentioned in this series, this word cosmos, it remains, in this case, the fallen system of humanity in alienation to God. Humanity doing its thing, but in alienation to God. Uh, but you better hear me, they'll use the word God. In fact, they'll be very fond of religion, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. And then Jesus uses this word, hate. And this is a very strong word. In the original language, Maso, it means to detest, to abhor, uh, to uh, actual fact such a, a, a strong position that very easily spills over into violence. My old favorite Chinese proverb, he who throws the first punch has run out of ideas. So one stops thinking. And so what happens? This is a hatred that drives, uh, can drive people and tip over the edge very, very easily. Now the result, Jesus says here, the disciples are going to be hated. These 11 that are now in the upper room, they're going to, they're going to experience an antipathy. Uh, but Jesus said, don't worry, you're in good company. They hated me first, he says. Everyone follow that? Now, you've got to ask the question, why do they hate Jesus? Um, you know, we were working in the working bee here yesterday, and some guys drove past, and I was doing some stuff out here, and they yelled some mockery and ridicule. Now, they didn't do that at the gym down the road. Uh, they, they, they didn't do it in the next gym down the road. They did it at the church. And you've got to ask, why do they do that? Why, why do they send their mockery? There's something that gets under their skin. And Jesus said, well, they hated me. Now, if you're a Christian who experiences the Holy Spirit and you're expecting the world to love you and pat you on the back and think well of you, <laughs> think again. Because there is a dynamic in Christianity, that you can't explain. It is, it is, how can I say? It's beyond rational reasoning. But there is a hatred that's directed towards Christ. Maybe, maybe uh, this, this verse here will give a little bit. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once also walked, uh, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the year. And then it says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now that work, word for work there in the original language, the Greek language, is a word called energeo. And energeo is from where we draw the word energy, energize from. And it says here, there is 
The prince of the power of the air is energizing disobedient humanity. And there's a hatred for Christ that can't be explained by rational reason. It's spiritual, friends. It's a spiritual hatred. And Jesus said people are going to hate him. It's, it's like they're driven, they're energized this way, but they have no idea what's energizing them. There's a spiritual hatred for Jesus. And he said, by the way, you're my disciples, they're going to hate you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, <laughs> uh, every now and then I see these critics of certain Christian preachers on the media. And they get up and write, the media love them. I don't know why people don't sit back and look at this and go, uh, if the world loves you, friend, you've got a problem. You're of the same spirit as them. You got what I'm saying? I got very little time of people who criticize other brothers and sisters in Christ. As I always say, I want to be known for what I stand for, not what I stand against. That's what I want to be known for, what I stand for. Now, with this here, the world hates you, and it's unexplained. It's, it's irrational in a way. Now, 2 Timothy 3.12, well, you love this verse. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hallelujah, Lord. I claim that promise. <laughs> oh, dear, dear me. Uh, anyway, uh, and then Jesus says, remember. Now, this is all covenant talk here. And remember means you're, you're going to be in your covenant. You're in your covenant. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name because they did not know him who sent me. They don't know the Father and they don't know Jesus and they hate them. And they can't really explain that is they just hate them. Now, with this here, the foremost advocate of that ad of hatred is religion. That was the foremost hater of Christ when he was here, is religion. Now, occasionally I have people say, oh, religion speak of love. And I go, really? <laughs> I've traveled too extensively. <laughs> Do religions all speak of love? Oh, oh, they'll speak at the right time. You get on the wrong side of them, friends. You, 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 you cop a little bit of hatred. And, and the foremost ad advocate of that hatred is religion. Because there is something about when people, they want religion, but they don't want the Father and they don't want Jesus. is because there's a spiritual reason. Now, religion hated Jesus. Absolutely hates him, as I've, I've mentioned. And with this, I'll, I'll just fill this out first. They hated his words, so if we kept reading... If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not, uh, not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So they hate Jesus for his words. They hated him for his works. Now those works were miracles and signs and wonders. If, if, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and both hated me and hated the Father. Everyone see that? So there is this hatred. And then Jesus says in verse 25, But the word that is written in the law was fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And that's a quotation from the book of Psalms, from Psalm there, 35, 19, or Psalm 69, 4. We're not sure which one, but most likely the second is the one Jesus has got in mind. They hated me without a cause. It's a Messianic Psalm and Psalm of David. Now, with that, there is a mysterious hatred towards Jesus and the Father. No sooner was Jesus born into the world, do you remember what King Herod did? He went and killed all the boys, two-year-old and under, in Bethlehem. That hatred was unleashed the moment Jesus stepped onto this earth, that unexplained hatred. Jesus went to preach his first sermon in his hometown synagogue, Luke chapter 4. <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm getting it rough. And uh, at the end of that sermon, they took him to a cliff to throw him over the edge. Because they hated him. Is they, they got mad at him. They called him a blasphemer. They called him a drunkard. They called him everything they could hurl at him. They got mad at him because 
They said you'd break the Sabbath. In John chapter 6, he feeds the multitude and they want to make him king. And then they get really mad because Jesus won't be king and they won't want to kill him. So they all desert him at that stage and he's no good. As Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he preaches in Jerusalem, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they all turned around and they wanted to kill him. <laughs> Anyone get a little drift? And you've got to ask the question, that before this night's through, all the multitude are going to yell, crucify, crucify, crucify. Before this night's through. And you've got to ask, why does the world so hate Jesus? Why do they hate him? Now, now let's be honest with this. Is he came with no position or rank. So he couldn't create envy in anyone. You know, some people get really, they just get ticked off with, you know, high, high poppies. Don't like them. They might even be nice people, but we don't like them. Too high class. And, you know, he, he, he presented no political persuasion. He didn't come as a Democrat, a Republican, a Liberal or a Labor. He came with nothing. And, and some people can get ticked off. You're on the wrong side of the fence. Well, you're not a good guy. And, but they, they resented it. They still resented him. He, he, he came in humility. There wasn't an ounce of pride in his life. And there's something about pride. We can pick it a block off, can't we? Yeah, stuck up. <laughs> Slightly paraphrased, but that's how it works, isn't it? And, and, and then he came speaking. Listen to these words. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Boy, that really get people upset and ticked off, eh? But they hated him. As he came as the great physician. And Luke 4, it says, He sent to, to me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover your sight to the blind to set liberty to those who are oppressed. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. But they hated him. You follow what I'm saying? And you've got to ask, why they hate him? I was listening to Richard Dawkins uh, there the other day. And the venom and the hatred in him for Jesus is phenomenal. I just go, oh dear God. The hatred, the spite just flows out. And, and, and maybe the best summary is Acts chapter 10, 37, 38. Listen to this. Probably the best summary of Jesus in, in two little verses. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That really would get under someone's crawl, wouldn't it? But friends, they hated him. And they hated him without a cause. Now, as you read this section of Scripture, have a look at the progression. It begins with hatred. Seven times Jesus mentions hatred. And then Jesus starts talking about persecution. Uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not liking where this is going. And then excommunication. Now, friends, less than you've experienced that, you do not realize how difficult that issue is. And then finally, he says, oh, by the way, they'll probably kill you too. And then think they're serving God in the process. Now, you need to feel all of that because you are not going to have a clue what Jesus says next, unless you actually see what he's saying in the big picture. You know, the earliest Christian report we have in history was by a pagan man called Tacitus, and he accused the Christians of hatred of the human race. And I go, for what reason? No, no reason. They hated me without a cause, and they're going to hate you because it's spiritual. It, 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 you can't explain it. Uh, John 3.19 probably gets this best. And it just says people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They just get cheesed off. They don't like it. Um, uh, Romans 8.7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There is a hostility written in humanity, unregenerate humanity that cannot be explained. And so I can be working in the garden. I can smile and go, God bless you, why you? And I'll get all the abuse in the street. Because of who I belong to. Everyone follow? Uh, if you haven't experienced this, get born again. <laughs> oh, you, you'll, you'll get a change of heart. And so with all of that, Jesus introduces the helper, the parakletos. This Greek word is, the, is, is untranslatable in English. It means the one who comes alongside who is your covenant attorney. 
I call him the covenant attorney. He's the dynamic of the whole new covenant that Jesus is going to lead them into. And this helper, the advocate, the one who comes, now comes bringing the cup of redemption. And as you stand before this unexplained, irrational hatred, God has redeemed you. And He's redeemed you back out of hock for the very purpose that He's really called your life for. And that's to testify before a hostile world. So, with this there, this now leads us to the cup of redemption. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of, what's the word? Truth. The Spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I don't think it's very hard to see in the cup of redemption what's the key word. What do you think the key word is? Witness. Just in case you didn't notice. And you, when you experience the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and He's going to make you a witness. He's going to bring you out a hawk for the very purpose that you were originally designed by God is to declare witness to His glory and who Christ really is. And you'll stand before a world that will hate that. But God's got a plan. He wants to reach that world and He's going to use you. And so with this here, this helper proceeds from the Father. I won't go into the details, but all the members of the Trinity in one verse are here. And He is the Spirit of truth. He will empower your words. He will empower your works. Just as He came upon Christ for those three years and empowered His words and His works. And when He empowers your words and your works, you'll experience a hatred that cannot be explained. And so with this here, John's Gospel is going to use this witness 30 times in his Gospel alone. A very important word for John. But listen to what the word witness means. It's the Greek word matreo, from where we get the English word martyr. Hallelujah. I'm going to be a witness for Jesus. Did, did you get what Jesus is saying? Uh-oh. Uh, this, is, this is not what the parents of these DTS students want to hear. They don't want to hear that. You'll be martyrs for Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, anyway, I can see I'm a little over top. But <laughs> now listen to this. Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful what? Witness. Because that very night, Jesus was going to become the greatest martyr of the world. He was going to lay down his life for you, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and empower you to be able to speak forth and also to work the deeds of Christ. And so he is the faithful witness and he says to the disciples, this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you. Now, can I just remind you, as he spoke those words to 11 disciples in that upper room, of those 11, John 15, 27, and you also will bear what? Witness. You'll too be martyrs because you have been with. Now, you know, can I just say with that? Of that 11, 10 of them were going to die martyrs' deaths. And I can see some people just about this time going to walk out of the room and they go, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> I don't want to be a martyr. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, friends. You've actually got to come to the true martyr. You've got to come to him. And the Spirit of God's going to come upon you and you'll be witnesses. Now, of those 11, 10 of them would die martyrs' deaths. Only one. And they tried to martyr him too and boiled him in oil and then didn't succeed. And somehow he survived. And that's the very guy we're reading from in this book. And so with this here, the you is very emphatic in the original language. It doesn't mean passively. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be active witness. And with this here, you will bear witness. Uh, Jesus said, you will bear witness. Now, with this here, through your words, through your works, as I've already said, now, let me, let me come to Acts 1.8. Now, have a listen to this. I, 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 when I first came into the Pentecostal church, they loved this verse. And it goes, but you will receive power. Uh, uh, just excuse me. It's, it's how I used to hear it when I go to church. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Power. 
And I used to sit there in my chair going, dear God, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a Pentecostal, like a real, real one. <laughs> oh, I tell you. And, and, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But can I just say, they love that word because power is the Greek word dunamos, where we get dynamite. And uh, you listen, there we throw sticks of dynamite. Uh, anyway. Uh, but that's not the emphasis of the verse. The emphasis of the verse is actually, and you will be my what? Witnesses. That's the emphasis of the verse. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. Now, that's God's plan and purpose. Now, can you see this? You will be my witnesses. It doesn't say you will go and witness. That's something you do. When you shall be my witness, that's a state of being. This is why all those anti-conversion laws, they're just so stupid. You're not allowed to witness. That's something people do. How do you ban, how do you do a law against you will be my witness? That's something you are. The moment, the moment... You, you, you fully have the Holy Spirit come upon you. <laughs> you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Everyone, you're sort of with me. Um, and, and so, this is a state of being. And, and Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're purchased out of hawk. God's got a purpose and a plan, and that plan is now you witness to a very hostile world because in that hostile world, there are people who are going to come and know Christ. As they witness there, a very angry man, Saul of Tarsus, would rise up in anger and try and excommunicate and kill them. And in the process, he gets saved and writes half of our New Testament. You go into areas where people are hostile, I just, no, at least they react. I go, you know, people get mad at me and yell obscenities at me. At least they've got a reaction. The ones I can't stand are the one goes, nye, nye, nye. got no feeling at all towards you. Give, give me a good angry atheist any day. <laughs> at least I know where I stand. And friends, when they get saved like Elise Strobel's or someone like that, they change the world for Christ. They become some of the greatest witnesses we have in the church and you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be transformed into a state of being. And that state of being is, you shall be my witnesses. Now, you've all been to a court of law, haven't you? <laughs> Some of you more than others. <laughs> and you get into a Her husband's a magistrate. You, you go to a court of law. Now, you go to a real court of law. You get, you know, you, you get called as a witness now, let me explain how that works, is before you ever get into the dock, before you're ever subpoenaed into that place, have you ever seen a witness that can't contain himself, gets into that, I'll tell you, judge, anyway, sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't do that sort of thing, but he's in deep yogurt, can you understand? He mouths off, he's sunk, sunk duck. Now, can I just say, is when you go to a court of law, who do you see before ever you appear in that dock? Your attorney friends, you go see a barrister and you have a big, big, long talk. And he says, this is how I win the case. This is what I want you to say. And I'm going to tease out of you exactly what I want you to say before the magistrate. Now, this is to me how evangelism works. The Holy Spirit's come upon me. My state of being is I am a witness. Every now and then the Holy Spirit subpoenas me to the dock. And I need to say no more than I should say, no less. Some people ruin witnessing by saying too much. They've got all this knowledge and they want to unload all the knowledge. They've got a great testimony. They want to unload a great testimony. No, friends. You need to just say enough to reach the heart of a hostile world. And the Holy Spirit will empower you in that. Anyway, I'd better be careful. Uh, all you've got to do is be truthful and give a testimony of what you've seen and heard. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in this cup of redemption, you're redeemed back to the purpose God's got for you. Well, friends, that purpose is to give witness. And when you get into that dock, you be honest about that. Proverbs 12, 7, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence. But a false witness utters deceit. Peter and John, when they're hauled into the witness stand in Acts 4, and Peter just says to that religious Sanhedrin that hated them without a cause, he just says, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Don't give a testimony what Bill Johnson's doing. 
Don't give a testimony what Reinhard Bonnke's doing. Give a testimony to what you have seen, what you have heard, and how it changed your life, and that witness then can actually touch and change the world. Everyone? Uh, anyway. Uh, I want to read this scripture, because Jesus encapsulates everything in this scripture. Listen to it. Mark, Matthew, Matthew 10, 16, 22. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to the courts to flog you in the synagogues and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Notice the bear witness. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you are to speak or what you are to say. Who gets nervous about evangelism? Well, friends, spend time with the helper. Spend time with the covenant attorney because in that very moment, he's going to give you the right words to speak. He'll be speaking through you. Brother will deliver over brother to death and father his child and children. I I think that's sort of hatred, don't you think? And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Can I just have a suggestion to you? If the world hates you, can I suggest it? It hates you without a cause. Don't give them a cause for them to hate you. Unfortunately, some Christians do. Peter, as he writes his letter before a hostile world, he says, have no fear. Don't be intimidated. Don't be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy. Always been prepared to make a defense, an apologia, straight from the courtrooms of the day. In other words, you give a formal defense for the gospel. When you're pulled into that spot, the Holy Spirit, the cup of redemption is over your life. Speak forth Christ. Declare his glory, declare what you've seen, declare what he has done, and testify. Now, this leads us to the very final part, and we're nearly done. Good news? Okay, I better come up to where my notes are. (laughs) Ah. Listen to this. And Jesus says, after he outlines this cup of redemption, I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Actually, the Greek word there is a word called scandalon. Scandalizo. Uh, isn't that right, Dad? Scandalizo. She's Greek. That's, I know a little Greek. She sits up there. <laughs> and, um, and, but let me explain what that is. That's, that's the trigger of a rat trap. They call that where you put the bait. And you can get snared. You can get trapped. You think it's all going to be party and nice peaches and cream when you embrace the gospel. Now I've got another thing, friend. You're going to be hated for, for no reason at all. Without a cause, because there's a spiritual dynamic. But when you do, don't let it get stumbled over it. Uh, don't, don't get put in a knot. They'll ki- put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they've not known the Father or me. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you. I did not say these things to you uh, there. I did not I, I say that from the beginning because I was with you. This falling away, scandalizo. Don't, don't be stumbled by it now with this here you know jesus relates persecution and trouble when he told the parable of the sower with the seed that went over stone remember that sprung up and with joy and then persecution and troubles came and it all shriveled up and died now that's interesting he relates that to the sun doesn't the sun make plants grow you you want to know something funny you go into Parts of the world with true persecution, true trouble, true this hatred unleashed. The church get pushed into Jesus closer to him than any other place. They feel the presence of the Holy Spirit upon them. Sometimes the, the modern church doesn't feel the Holy Spirit because there's no opposition. But friends, when you truly experience this, you'll feel the Holy Spirit come upon you. You feel an authority. You feel anointing to be a witness. And so that should make you grow. It shouldn't build you up as a believer. And, you know, uh, you know, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed, blessed. Who's the one we should really be feeling sorry for the world? Isis. Do you know who Isis are killing right at the moment in Syria and Iraq? The group they most target is the Nazarenes, believers in Jesus Christ. And they hate them hate them with a hatred and they kill them thinking they're serving God well friends they're the people you should be feeling sorry for 
We need to feel sorry for those people that that very night would put Jesus to death for a hatred that was unexplained. And they used God's name to do it. And so tribulation, persecution, you'll experience excommunication. Some of you are going to get a reaction from family when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. As the blind man experienced, kicked out of the synagogue, some of you can even experience threats of death or even death. And they'll do this, or as Tertullian said many years ago, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Friends, you don't believe that. You need to do missions. You need to go into the world. So I'll finish this way. John 16, 3, and they'll do all these things because they have not known the Father, nor they have not known me. They have not known the Father, they have not known me. What is it to know the Father? It's eternal life. If you know Jesus Christ, if you experience the Holy Spirit, this is eternal life, that they'll only know the true God, the Father, and me. That's eternal life. And you remember, you're in covenant. This is new covenant reality. And when we come into this cup of redemption, we come, we'll experience the hatred of the world. We'll experience it. We'll experience rejection and persecution. But the meat in the sandwich is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses for the kingdom of God. Everyone, how about we stand? Let's pray. And um, Father... We thank you and honour you today. Father, some very difficult things to talk about today, but I, I pray, pray, Lord, the Father, as we just enter into living in this upper room, Holy Spirit, come, come upon us all. Holy Spirit, breathe over our lives. Let us be witnesses for your kingdom. Let us speak forth your words. Let us do your works to the glory of your name. Even though they hate us without a cause, Lord Jesus, be glorified, be exalted. May you be lifted up in our midst, and we just thank you and pray for your anointing and blessing of every person here. Just as we end, I know there's many believers. I don't know all of you here today, but I really, as I was out praying, I believe God said to me this. I want the person each side of you to put a hand upon you today. And I want the church to pray, not the pastor front to pray. And I want you to pray for that brother and sister each side of you today that the helper would so come upon them to give them a boldness where they can move beyond all intimidation and fear and truly be witnesses for Jesus Christ to change their world the glory of his name so why every eye is open every head is looking around have a look at the person each side of you and i want you to put a hand upon them and i want you to pray for them then the guy's going to come with a song there may be one little concluding note that someone says here today but i want you to pray for each other amen
Because true, authentic, real freedom comes from the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the air that we breathe is freedom. Amen. We know we are free because it's sin. And our, our sin and our failures and our mistakes that restrict us, place chains on us and choke the life out of us. But here's the good news. If you're in here this morning and you don't know what we're talking about or you're just like, I, I want that freedom and I know I don't have that freedom. I, I've never had my sins forgiven. Well, here is the good news. Jesus has paid the price on the cross 2,000 years ago. When He died on that cross, He paid for your sins. He paid for all your mistakes. He paid for every single chain and bondage that would restrict you in order that you would receive that cup of freedom. Amen. It is yours to receive. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So here's the thing. If you're in here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ, you've never received Him, and said, Lord, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to invite you into my heart, into my life. I want to, I want to be forgiven for my sins. He, today is the day of salvation. That's what the Word of God says. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. So if you're in here this morning, we're going to go and continue into worship. But I invite you to make a stand and come forward and just make a physical declaration to say, hey, I want that freedom. I want to receive the Spirit of God. Because when you do that, when you make a decision to believe on Jesus Christ as your Saviour, the Spirit of God comes and He dwells within you. The freedom of Christ comes and He dwells within you. And you are set free. In Jesus' name, there's a little bit of outworking, but you are miraculously set free and forgiven for all your sins. So that's available for anybody in here this morning. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, is available for anyone and everyone. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to share a testimony that happened on Friday night in Byron on the streets. We're there and we're preaching and, um, and this guy approached. I just, I just simply said, hey, Jesus loves you. And he looked at me choking back tears and he said, you don't know my life. And he's, this young guy, 25-year-old, proceeded to tell me how his best mate put a gun to his head and shot himself recently. And he was carrying this pain, man. I'm sitting there and it's heavy and because and he didn't know hope. He did not know how to get rid of it. Because that's all the world teaches you. There is no hope, man. You come from nothing, you're going to go to nothing. And he's carrying this, 
this no hope and as we spoke life into him and hand him a Bible, he promised me he's going to go to church and, and I just wanted to share just the message that you guys carry this hope for a dying world that's carrying so much pain and the simple like hope, man. It's like there's a saying that there's uh, two things are certainty, death and taxes, but I tell you there's a third thing that you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, that is your, that's, that's where you're headed. You're headed to heaven where there's absolute life. So I just want to speak that over you, whoever it is, man. You don't know who's going to come in your path. Man, just speak about the hope because I tell you to see this guy transform from just ugh, to walking away, just knowing. I just really encourage you, hey. I, I definitely, if you, yeah. I just really believe and just believe as I was standing up there. The Lord says there's a few people you need prayer today. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit over your life. And some of you who have never given your life publicly to Christ before, it's a good day to do it. And if you just bring, you can bring a friend out, we'll pray for you. But I, I really sense there's a few people in the room today. You do need the laying of hand, hands. You need brothers and sisters to pray that real authority over your life. And the guy's just going to play softly. If you need to go, you need you go. But I just want to open it up. Anyone would like prayer today, uh, just come. You, you don't have to labor the point. If it's you and you know the Holy Spirit's spoken to you, just slip out of your seat. Come forward. We're just going to pray for you now. And then when we're finished. You can go. God bless you. But I know there's a couple of people here. There's a, I just really sense it in God. You need someone to pray for you now. So thank you.
tremble.